Hey friends, this is Linda. Thanks for tuning in to Calling Water. This podcast is all about looking at a passage of scripture to get us to think about what it means and what it might call us to do. In today's episode, You Will Be Silent, we're looking at the story of the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 and how God often speaks loudly through silence. And speaking of silence, something we haven't really talked about is how we've been able to maintain this podcast. And I know everyone talks about fundraising and giving this time of year. And as much as I don't want to add to the noise, I humbly ask that you do consider giving to Calling Water and helping us keep this podcast going. You can submit payments easily using Venmo at Adam Down Church. That's A-R-U-M-D-A-U-N Church. And you can find this information in our show notes as well. Thanks in advance for your continued support, whether you're a first-time listener or you've been blessed by this podcast in the past. And now let's get started with today's message. There's a story I heard or maybe read a while back, which is probably not a true story, but it makes an excellent illustration. As the tale goes, a farmer lost an old watch of great sentimental value inside a barn. Presumably, it was lost under piles and piles of hay, making it just as impossible to find as finding a needle in a haystack. So the farmer recruited all the neighborhood kids because why not? They have nothing to do, and offered a reward to the kid who finds the watch. And after an entire day of searching and turning the barn upside down, no one was able to find this priceless heirloom. So sadly, one by one, all the kids headed home, but one boy stayed behind and asked for one last chance. Then within minutes, the boy comes out of the barn watch in hand. The farmer was overcome with emotion, but also flabbergasted. Everyone had looked for this thing all day long, and this kid comes out with it in a matter of minutes. So he inquires, how did you find it so fast? And the boy says what he did was he stood silently in the middle of the barn and listened for the ticking of the watch. Now, I share the story because we have all been conditioned to believe that silence is a non-answer. We are very uncomfortable with silence. When I ask my kids or our next-gen students a question, I get almost offended when they don't give me a response. You know how sometimes you ask kids a question and they just kind of stare at you? Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> but... As we'll see with today's Bible passage, sometimes silence is the answer, and often God invites us to sit in silence and expectation. The Gospel of Luke begins in chapter 1 with the birth of, well, not Jesus. We're introduced to a couple by the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were of priestly descent. Verse 6 tells us, both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, right? In short, they were very good people, which kind of reminds us of Job, right? And we should recognize by now that when scripture tells us that someone is undisputedly virtuous like this, well, something weird or tragic is about to go down. 
And lo and behold, in precisely the next verse, we find out that they didn't have any children. And by now, both Elizabeth and Zechariah were very old in age. Again, this is a common trope or story setup we see in the Bible. Being childless and then surpassing that childbearing age was a matter of great shame for women and considered a serious misfortune for men because they wouldn't have an heir. Nevertheless, God promises Zechariah a son. An angel appears to Zechariah and tells him that he and Elizabeth will indeed bear a son and they are to call him John. And John will devote his life to serving God and bringing people to repentance. Verse 17 says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Simply put, John will prepare the people for the Savior. So in verse 18, Zechariah asks the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Which is a reasonable question to ask. But how does the angel respond? Verses 19 through 20 tell us, The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And immediately Zechariah becomes mute, and he remains unable to speak until the day his son is born. Because these words do come to pass. Elizabeth, in her old age, does give birth to a baby boy, and everyone had been planning to name the child after his father, Zechariah, but Elizabeth and Zechariah both knew that this miracle baby was the son that God had promised them and would be named John. And the very moment Zechariah writes out, his name is John, he's able to speak again. Elizabeth says in verse 25, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And fittingly, the name John means God has been gracious, God has shown favor. Now this story more so than probably the, the fictitious one I shared earlier, teaches us so much about the value of silence. Specifically, how God speaks to us through silence sometimes. How so? First of all, God will sometimes silence our unbelief and our uncertainties. Now, when we see something we can't believe, what is our initial visceral reaction? It's usually speechlessness, right? Because we, we're speechless because it's something we can't explain. What is there to say? Anything we say will only further illuminate our ignorance. And that reminds me of this quote from, I, I don't remember who, but the quote goes, it is better to remain silent at the risk of being thought a fool than to talk and remove all doubt of it. 
Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't allow us room to doubt and ask the hard questions because we absolutely should be digging deeper and wrestling with scripture as part of our spiritual growth. But in the case of Zechariah, his unbelief was more of a challenge than it was incredulity, meaning he was looking for proof because Zechariah was a priest and came from a long line of priests. This means he knew scripture. At the very least, he had to have known about the stories of his ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, Rachel, Leah, even Hannah, who received her confirmation of a son through Eli, another priest. So when Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? It doesn't appear as though he doubts that God has the power to make this happen, but he seems to be looking for some amount of insurance. We are already so old and nothing has happened yet. So what assurances do I have that I will live to see this day? And in the state of his unbelief, if Zechariah had been left to tell others about this good news, he would have been met with, even more skepticism, and the promise of God would have been obscured by humans trying to rationalize this very mystical but real encounter Zechariah had with an angel of the Lord. Now, sometimes the promises God gives us make no earthly sense, but it's in those moments where we need to stop trying to reason it out and learn how we can silence the parts of us that are looking for material evidence because we might not get it and not because god is stingy with signs and wonders but because faith based on something easily seen and experienced isn't really faith at all now i'm a huge sucker for christmas films i truly believe that there are no bad ones and one that i make a point of watching every year just based on tradition is the old tim allen flick santa claus And at the very beginning of the movie, uh, the little boy Charlie is asking his dad to prove that Santa is real. And this is how the dad responds. Charlie, sometimes believing in something means means you just believe in it. Santa uses reindeer to fly because that's how he has to get around. How far be it from me to compare this figure of Santa Claus to God, but I think it illustrates a great point. It's not our place to decipher how God does things. We just need to find our peace in knowing that he just does. Because secondly, God's silence doesn't mean he doesn't hear us. Now, empirically, we all know this. We know God is listening to our prayers, but when the answer doesn't come back to us quickly or in a favorable way, we can't help but question God's divine wisdom and plans. But if you go back and read Luke chapter 1, verse 13, when the angel appears to Zechariah, he says the following, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, wait a minute. What prayer? 
when did Zechariah and Elizabeth pray for a son? Now, it can't have been recent. It's not as though Zechariah was in the temple that night praying for a son. The two of them had probably given up hope of having a child years ago. So do you realize what that means? God was referring to a prayer that they had stopped praying. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to stop praying. If anything, this tells us to keep praying because the prayer seeds that we're planting right now will come to fruition at exactly the right time. Now, if you think about it, the people of Israel had been praying for a Messiah for much longer than Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a son. But the birth of John at this time was both an answered prayer for his parents and also for God's people, because John's birth meant that the birth of the Savior was close at hand. And it's close for us too. We're in the second week of Advent, and as you might know, Advent is both a time to look back as we wait to celebrate Jesus' birth, as well as to look forward to the time when Jesus will return to this earth. Now, I feel today's text is calling us to learn to sit in silence during this time. As it says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So how can we be silent? We can be silent so we can hear from God. Be silent so you can hear from God. So instead of being like Zechariah, be like Zechariah, meaning don't give up on talking to God much like how Zechariah and Elizabeth had given up on their prayers for a son. I mean, I have no doubt that Zechariah talked the most to God when he was unable to talk, and all he could do is meditate on this promise of a son. So don't give up, but wait and listen for God. And secondly, be silent so you can hear only God. Tell your inner skeptic and critic and every other discouraging thought within you to take a break, preferably forever. Silence all the other voices that try to derail you from your walk with God. And lastly, be silent so you can be in awe of God. What words could even begin to describe the greatness of God? Be still and speechless and Be more amazed more often at who God is, because with God, the best is always yet to come, and when it does, there's nothing else to do. You will be silent when you see all that God has in store for you at just the right time. Let's pray. God, it's that time of year where we busy ourselves with the usual holiday rush as we do every year. And even though we know Christmas is all about you, we rarely pause and give you the honor that you're due. So God, help us to welcome the silence for once. May we quietly wait on you for the answers we seek. And may you quiet those fears and doubts that tend to consume us. 
We want to hear from you and only you and be more in awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen.